What do you want in life? Let's also think about this. You know, what do you want in the life that is to come? Now, I'm not necessarily talking about things, but just what do you want? You know, how do you want your life to go? What is your plan for your life? But also more importantly than that, what does God want in your life? What is God's plan for your life? In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29 verses 11 through 13 You you probably will be familiar with verse 11. Um, We don't always kind of look at the other two verses, but you'll probably be familiar with this first one. But this is what Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 11, says. And it's God speaking. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And when you look at that passage, like I said, we oftentimes focus on that verse 11. And, you know, I believe this this verse and this passage is very powerful. I believe it gives even more meaning when you understand who he said that to. Because he actually didn't say that to you specifically or to me specifically. No, these words were given to the Jewish people who were in exile at the time. They were taken away from their homeland uh, and, and they were in another place. They were exiled to a different location. And they had to relearn everything about their life and about what it meant to, to follow God. What is it going to look like now? But God tells them that he has plans for them. He uses words like prosper, They just got taken over. Their whole nation just got taken over. How are they going to prosper? And he uses words like hope and a future. You look at any group who's gone through something similar to what those people went through, and it's hard for them to see prosperity. It's hard for them to see hope or a future. But yet what God's message was to them was, if you seek me with all of your heart, you will see these things. He has plans for us, and he does have plans for us as well, like, you know, right here, right now. Let's keep in mind Jesus' prayer in the garden, especially that phrase that he says, not as I will, but as you will. I mean, if Jesus can pray that prayer, doesn't that most certainly apply to us as well? Well, this morning, by the way, you might be thinking, okay, I thought we were going through the signs of John. Are we finished with that? No, actually, we're not. We're going to look at another sign this morning. But this sign, what I want us to see is repeatedly throughout it what people within the story are wanting and then what God's plan is for it. Because sometimes it matches up, sometimes it doesn't, just like with us. Sometimes our plans match up with what God wants, sometimes they don't. And we're going to take a look at this. We're going to be in John chapter 11. This is the seventh sign. This is really the last sign that you read about before Jesus rises up from the dead. I mean, let's face it, that's kind of the biggest sign, of course. But this one is pointing toward that. And it's a friend, Lazarus. You probably already know what's going to happen, but let's take a look at it together. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death, 
No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews were trying to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daylight will not stumble, for they see by the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Okay, so let's take a look already in this story of what we want and what God wants. So what we want, uh, let's look at the perspective from the disciples. When you look at their statements, you see like in verse 8, right there they start saying, well, a short while ago the Jews, they tried to stone you and yet you're going back there. What they were wanting was safety. Let's face it, don't we want safety too? I mean, wouldn't we like to be safe in this world? And they wanted to know, why are you wanting to go back there? They were just trying to kill you. It makes sense to stay away. But yet, another thing that they wanted is very important. Because when you look on down in verse 16, they're able to make this statement, let us also go that we may die with him. And I don't know if you you know, you you look at that like even in that video, and I always kind of think that's a weird statement to say. But, you know, also I was thinking if it was my job... I was handed those lines, and it was my job to act that out. You know, how do you say that? How would that have looked? But because that is such an important statement in this story, because that's their statement that they're willing to say, look, we're willing to go, we're willing to die with you. And they had this this motivation right there to obey, to be able to follow. Um, Yes, they wanted safety, but the obedience outweighed their safety. And they went and they followed Jesus wherever he was leading them. And that should also be our want as well. Safety's good. A lot of these positive things and, and good things, they're great for us to be able to have. However, we've got to seek the obedience, like what the disciples were seeking. And we also see in these verses something about what God wants. From this, we'll kind of use the words of Jesus because Jesus gives us this insight in what God wants. In verse 4, we find out that God wants to see this glory. Specifically, Jesus says it like this. It is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. He knows that the end of this story is not death. You probably know that already and a little bit of a spoiler alert. He's going to raise Lazarus up from the dead. You probably already know that because a lot of times even the name Lazarus is so much times associated with with life and and new life and stuff even today. Um, And here it's because of this Lazarus that we're reading about, this Lazarus that we're seeing this, this story of. And it was not supposed to end in death because that's not where his story ends. His story glorifies God. We see this glory that the son receives through this sign. We also see in verse 15 that Jesus makes this statement. The whole reason why this sign is about to take place is so that you may believe. 
If you remember, way back when we started looking at all the signs, that's the whole purpose behind all of these signs was that we might believe. Well, this one specifically says that's the purpose of it. That's the reason for for these things taking place. It has to do with, with belief. It has to do with faith. That's what God wants us to learn from these stories is how to have faith and what that looks like. Let's keep looking because there's more in this story. When you look here at verse 17 of John 11, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Let's skip on down to verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And by the way, just a reminder, Mary and Martha, these are the siblings of Lazarus. Okay, so if you want to find somebody who cares a great deal about Lazarus and his well-being, it's his two sisters right here. So the first sister comes, that's what she says. Let's skip on down now to verse 32. Okay, so what's the other sister going to say? Listen to this. Verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? That is kind of a good question, isn't it? You know, there was confusion. So from these verses right here, let's take a look. What do we want and what does God want? Well, when you look at Martha and you look at Mary, if you compare their first statements to their Lord, it's almost identical. It's both of them just say, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha says it in verse 22. I'm sorry, verse 21. And then Mary says it in verse verse 32. But they both say almost the exact same thing. So what is it that they wanted here? What is it that we want oftentimes? That is, they wanted to avoid suffering. They knew that their brother was sick. I mean, that's why they sent messengers to go tell Jesus so that he could come and hopefully heal him. And, you know, this was going to end in something great. But instead, their brother died. They didn't understand that. Why is this going on? Why did God allow this to happen? Why did Jesus delay? You know, why, why didn't he come immediately? What, what is going on here? They didn't know, but they knew this. They knew if he had been here, then their brother would not have died. But he wasn't there. Jesus wasn't there at that moment. And their brother died. And they had questions. They wanted to know. They wanted some of these answers. What does God want? Well, in verse 23... What we find out from the words of Jesus, what God wants, and that is he wants us to trust him. That's just like before. He wants faith. He wants belief. Well, what Jesus says is your brother will rise again. You know, sometimes we don't always have all the answers. We don't always know why God does things the way that he does or why he allows certain things and or why he doesn't allow some other things that we think would be a good thing. That's not always our job to figure out all those things. Let God do that. What our job is, is to to recognize what God does want from us. And what he wants us is to realize there is a bigger picture. There is a bigger story. And there is this hope. Borrowing the words from Jeremiah again, to those in exile, he said, 
that he had plans for them to prosper. He had plans for hope, plans for a future. They had no clue how that was going to look. They had no clue how that was going to work out in their lives. But God told them, if you seek me, then you'll see these things. And that's the same type of thing that Mary and Martha were called to. This is, a, this is probably one of the worst times in their lives. One of the worst things that's ever happened in their lives has just happened. Their very, very, very close brother has just died. And Jesus wasn't there. They felt alone. What do we do now? Well, thankfully, there's more to this story. John chapter 11, verses 38 through 53. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them, went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better... For you, that one man die for the people, then the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. And in these verses, we see the more complete plan of God what his plans were all along and what he wanted out of this. When we back up to verse 39, we find out what we want sometimes. And here, what Martha says after she is told to remove the stone, you know, she says, it's been four days. There's a bad odor. There's a smell. You know, she's, she's coming up with some of these excuses instead of God said to do this. You know, Jesus has told her to remove the stone. Well, what do we do at that point? I mean, we can find excuses sometimes on why that doesn't make sense, why we perhaps shouldn't do that, just like she does in verse 39 of this passage. But yet, when it comes down to it, they still had this obedience. They still did exactly what Jesus said. Uh, They did roll the stone away, and they saw something great. They saw something wonderful. And this passage, I believe it, it shows us that God asks us to do what we can do. For instance, he did ask that they roll that stone away. They were able to do that. They weren't able to bring Lazarus back from the dead. So God asks us to do what we can, and then he does what we cannot do. And in this passage, Lazarus, the only way that he was going to come back to life was from God. And sometimes that's a wonderful lesson that we've got to learn, is that when God asks us to do stuff, he asks us what we can do. 
And it's our job to do it. But then whenever you find out something that you just really cannot do, don't have great concern about that because God can do that part. It's not up to you. Sometimes things feel like they're not up to us because they're really not. It's really not your part. It wasn't their part to raise Lazarus from the dead. That's God's part. Their part was just to do what Jesus said. And he did ask them a few things. But God has a big part, a much bigger part than any one of us. So what does God want? God wants, believe it or not, it's some of the same things that Jesus has already told us. For instance, he still wants this glory. For instance, in verse 40, he says that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. You know, that's what he's already told them, that they're going to see this glory of God if they believe. Sometimes I guess it kind of makes us wonder, okay, when's the last time you've seen the glory of God? When's the last time you've believed that you're going to see the glory of God? It can make a difference. Another thing that we see that God wants is, by the way, most of these from this passage, it does come from the the statements of Jesus. But in verse 42, we see once again, belief right here. We see once again, faith. The whole reason behind all this is that they may believe that you sent me. All this comes down to showing that Jesus Christ is something special. Jesus Christ has come from God, and Jesus Christ is doing wonderful things in their world, things that's impossible for them, things that truly only God could do. And now we get something new, though, okay? So it's not just the same things that we looked at before. It's not just that God wants glory and that God wants belief of us. No, 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 there's more than that. Another thing that God wants and he desires here is found in verse 44, and that is that God wants us to have new life. Now, that can look a little different, you know, from from person to person on what exactly that new life is going to look like. But whenever anyone decides to become a Christian, they are given new life, new spiritual life, which is actually so much more important than this physical life. I mean, physical life, it it makes for a really uh, great sign, a really great miracle for us to, to see and to learn from. But, you know, we've got to understand this whole thing about Lazarus rising from the dead. It's great. It's wonderful. However, Lazarus did die again at some point. You know, he's not still just walking around this earth. He still had to die again. But what is so much more powerful than that is how every single Christian who ever has been alive since this time has experienced new life in a spiritual way. And that is whenever you have new life like that, you're never to die again. You don't have to worry about the the spiritual death. No longer. You have this new life. And that's why we see in verse uh, 44, he also makes that statement to take off the grave clothes and let him go. You know, I mean, he was, he was kind of bound up at that point. That's what they did is, is whenever you bury somebody, they, they bound them up. And he says, look, release this person. Let them go free. Let Lazarus go free. And he says a very similar thing with all of us in a spiritual way that, you know, we've, we're bound up. We've been bound up by sin. Christ came to provide freedom. And now I want to kind of switch gears because we've been looking at at positive things that we want. But now I want us to kind of look at this same thing again, what we want. But this time it's from the perspective of the Pharisees. What do the Pharisees want? That's why the video kept going. And that's why we kind of saw that part of it, too, because there is a whole other side to it. A lot of people believed with Lazarus, but yet there still was a lot of people that didn't want to believe. There's a lot of people who, when they saw that, It scared them. So what did the Pharisees want? Verse 48, 
tells us that they wanted power. See, they were afraid because everyone is believing in him. What's the problem with that? Why do they have to be concerned about people believing in Jesus? Well, it's because that took away power from them. They also had this concern about the Romans, that the Romans, well, they would come in and they would take away our temple and our nation. That's what they were afraid of. Well, guess what? Believe it or not, Jesus actually prophesied while he was walking on the earth that 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 very thing was going to happen, that the Romans were going to come and they were going to take away their nation and they were going to take away their temple. And they did. But it had nothing to do with, with Jesus right here. What it had to do with was the lack of belief. I mean, the Pharisees in this verse are showing this lack of belief because they saw a miracle. They saw somebody rise up from the dead and they just refused to believe. They just refused to have anything to do with Jesus because they wanted that power. We also see that they wanted their problems to go away. And the problem that I'm referring to here is Jesus. Jesus was what they considered their problem. In verse 50, and then also in verse 53, we see that uh, uh, that's where Caiaphas talks about how that, that one man needs to die for the people rather than bring the whole nation down. You know, that's what he was saying. That, well, that one man, he just needs to go away. And in verse 53, we read that they plotted to take his life. I mean, how is it that they see this sign, Jesus brings new life to Lazarus? And their response is, oh, well, we got to kill Jesus. In what world does that make sense? To the Pharisees, that's exactly what they, they saw from this. That's what they learned from this sign. But yet, that's not how we should be, without a doubt. You know, we see this as a negative example. But we see this, that, that sometimes people can be like that. Well, what does God want in those situations? Well, actually, among that situation, you find this interesting statement in verses 51 and 52 that even the high priest, okay, this is in a priesthood that obviously there's some corruption in this priesthood at this time. It's not exactly the most friendly to Jesus. It's not exactly the most friendly to God. But what God is wanting among all this is still this new life. He still is wanting this message about Jesus to be proclaimed. And this high priest, he, it says that in verse 51, after Caiaphas says that about, about Jesus um, uh, needing to die for the people, we, we read that he did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. See, that's what God wants. God actually had these prophetic words come out of the mouth of this high priest who is wanting to kill Jesus, but he still is speaking this prophecy. He still is speaking this beautiful message of of exactly what was going to happen. That the message of God, the message of Jesus Christ, it's not just about Israel. It's not just about that one nation. No, it's for all of these children of God who are scattered all over the world. Now for us, it looks a little different because... We're literally on the other side of the world. This isn't really news to us. This would have been kind of new information to them. This is when when John's gospel was being written, it was like Christianity was a pretty new thing. And it was starting to spread over the whole world. And, you know, they were like living these things. And they were saying, this is what's going on, is these children of God, wherever they might be, whatever nation they might be, what God is doing is he's trying to bring them all together and make them one. And I'd hope that we can see a pretty good picture of what that looks like today. 
Sometimes we see a little bit closer of a picture than other times, but a lot of that depends on the Christians of our day. It, a lot of it depends on us, how we are going to be. Are we going to be one? Are we going to recognize what God wants from us? And are we going to submit to him and experience this new life? You see, in this passage, in John 11, we see that all that God wants comes to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the key. He is the answer. He is the way. He is how everything is going to come uh, through him and, and provide us wonderful things to us. And God, through Jesus Christ, he can bring us all together. He can give us new life. But we must seek him with all of our heart. That's the task that we've been given. And it's something that you can do. I know that you can. It's something that God asks you to do.